listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us every week as we break down an issue in global politics so that you can understand what's happening in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Since the invasion back in February, the world has been horrified by reports of war crimes in Ukraine carried out by Russian forces. And while calls grow for perpetrators to be brought to justice, there have also been demands for Vladimir Putin to face the music for the crime of aggression for invading Ukraine in the first place. The question is, will he? Keith, thanks for joining us this week. Can you tell me what is the crime of aggression in international law and have we seen it prosecuted before? So we're going back now really to the Nuremberg and other war crimes trials at the end of World War II. So the end of World War I, virtually no Germans were put on trial for war crimes. So during World War II, Britain and the United States and the Soviet Union decided they would do better next time round. And so there are a collection of war crimes trials that were held in Germany and also in Asia. Mm. So Australia particularly was involved with the Asian war crimes trials, the Japanese war criminals, and in in Europe, particularly in Nuremberg, they're the most well-known ones because the Americans decided to take the cream of the Nazi crop and put them on trial. But there were a number of other war crimes trials, including the ones which the British put on in Cologne, and they were dealing with significant figures themselves. And in fact, the person who got me interested in this entire subject all those decades ago was Colonel Draper, who had helped organise the war crimes trials in Germany after the war. He'd been a military lawyer. And every time we had the weekly tutorial on international law, somehow we seemed to go back to the war crimes trials. They were obviously a, a major point in yeah, his life. Absolutely. I might just give an indication about how shrewd he was. When they were looking at this, I forget the German general's name, somebody who invaded through Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. prosecutors said, look, we're getting all these reports from people on the ground that areas were Juden Fry. In other words, the Jews had all been exterminated. Mm. And he said, look, how would I know everything that's going on? I was responsible for more generals than there were in the British Army. How would I know all that goes on? And so it looked as though he was going to get off simply on the grounds of saying, how, how can I know for sure all that was happening? Right. Okay, there are reports, they've got initials, but not necessarily my initials. Mm. And Colonel Draper noticed that the general had boots that needed repairing. So he got one of the court officials at the end of the day to go to the general and say, you are not as presentable as you should be, your boots need repairing, can we repair them for you overnight? And the German general said, yes, that's a good idea. And the court official said, oh, and here's the receipt. Would you please initial it? Mm. Got him. Of course. And that initial is what meant that he went to the gallows. Wow. So Colonel Draper used to entertain us with all these little vignettes of his time yeah. at the war crimes trials. Now, you know, with Nuremberg, etc., people assumed that somehow that all continued. But in fact, it didn't. By the end of the 1940s, the Cold War was occurring and the international movement to prosecute war crimes just sort of simply evaporated. Now, individual countries have carried out some war crimes trials relating to World War II. We've also, of course, seen in the United States 
occasional war crimes trials for people in the My Lai massacre, for example. If there's been sufficient publicity, mm. then they need to have somebody to punish. But that's a whole separate story. These are, these are the war crimes proper. Killing prisoners of war, rape, etc. Also at Nuremberg for the first time, we had what was called crimes against the peace, crimes of aggression. In other words, actually starting a war. And to do that, you've got to be a top person. Mm. The problem with war crimes proper is that you're putting on trial generally people lower down in the food chain. Yeah. You're not getting at the people, the Mr. Bigs of crime, if you like. That's right. They get off scot-free. Heads of government. Yeah. And so at Nuremberg, we then get this notion of the crime against the peace. It's reflected in the UN Charter, Article 2.4, which says that you should not use force or the threat of force in international relations. So we're actually trying to limit the use of force in international politics. So the precedent was set back at Nuremberg, although, of course, tragically, Hitler himself had already perished, Mm. but there were these talks about the crime against the peace and people were being charged with that. But then at the end of the 1940s, the movement for having an international criminal system sort of evaporated. Now, the United Nations itself has an International Court of Justice, ICJ, but the International Court of Justice is only dealing with disputes between countries. So it doesn't deal with this type of war crime. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that, oh, well, war crime is being handled through the International Court of Justice. That is not the case. Right. So we see then in the 50s and the 60s and 70s and 80s, we had a number of international lawyers. I was one of them writing about the need for there to be an international criminal court, etc. But deep down, you know, we were, in my case, certainly, I was very sceptical that I'd ever see this being created. The good news is that we now do have an international criminal court. Australia is a party to the ICC. After decades, we've, okay, we've at least got international body, which, of course, is rejected by the Americans and the Russians, the Chinese, a number of other countries. But we, we do see this progress towards having an international criminal court. So that, that's a bit of good news. The next one is what about crimes against the peace? Yeah. So these are the top people's crimes and these are actually much more difficult because leaders of countries are very hesitant about putting other leaders of countries on trial. The question, I guess, on a lot of people's minds is how hasn't Putin been forced in front of some sort of international court or panel or something to face the music for these crimes. But the problem is, is what you just said, world leaders are hesitant to do this. Could you tell me about the link between that and what we saw with the invasion of Iraq in 2003? Well, exactly. And now you've touched on why the Americans are hesitant about the International Mm -hmm. Criminal Court. So in 2003, the United States invaded Iraq. A number of us think that there was probably an illegal invasion. Now, it's interesting, the Prime Minister of Great Britain at the time, Tony Blair, his wife is a lawyer and her chambers, Matrix Chambers, actually provided a legal opinion. Wow. So he was getting free legal advice Mm. and Cherie Blair was saying to her husband, you're going to end up as a war criminal. That's why the British were pushing so hard for a UN Security Council authorisation because if the UN authorised it through the Security Council, it would reduce the risk of it being declared illegal. Mm. The French and a number of other governments held out against that. And so when the invasion went ahead, it was not with the UN authorization. 
Now, you end up with this complicated legal argument about countries are using prior UN resolutions, etc. But I think most people are not convinced about that. And of course, in the case of the British government, where lawyers take their job seriously, you had a, a number of resignations from people who said that this is wrong. The British Attorney General at the time gave advice that it would be illegal. The Prime Minister then said, go away and give me new advice. (laughs) (laughs) And then they were able to cook up an explanation as to why it may in fact be okay to go ahead with the invasion, you know what lawyers are like. You could always find someone to say what you want them to say. (laughs) So the invasion goes ahead in 2003 and so there are suggestions that Bush, Blair and Howard are unindicted war criminals. These are the three people who authorised going to war. And they've basically got away with it. The only country that sort of had any sort of investigation into this was uh, Great Britain. In Australia, we just shrug our shoulders and say, yeah, we have politicians who make mistakes all the time and we move on. So the Rudd government that came in after the Howard government refused to have an investigation. In the United States, they don't investigate past deeds of previous presidents. In Great Britain, they were truly shocked that they'd gone to war over so-called weapons of mass destruction, which didn't exist. Now, the British were shocked. The politicians lied to them. I think they're very naive (laughs) in in having such a high regard for their politicians, who I regard largely as scoundrels. Yes. And so they they set up the Chilcot inquiry. In the end, it was fairly inconclusive, I've got to say, but it did reveal how the establishment, which runs the country, really didn't like Tony Blair. And the intelligence agencies made it quite clear that they weren't going to accept the blame Mm. for what went wrong. They, in effect, were saying, we were advising the government that there were no weapons of mass destruction, that you're going to war for no good cause. But as I say, heads of government get away with their crimes. And so this is why there's now so much interest in somehow being able to find Putin guilty of this crime against the peace. Remember, you have to be a head of government or in another very senior position, to be found guilty for that. I might just say the Australian Defence Forces, having received training over the decades in international humanitarian law, and I was involved with some of that work in the early days, the military wanted to be reassured that they weren't going to end up at an international war crimes trial. (laughs) So there were all sorts of arrangements made to reassure the senior military that they were not going to go on trial. Mm. But it's interesting how the Australian military were alert to this problem and wanted to have reassurances that they were not going to end up being put on trial for war crimes. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Suda. Thanks for your company this week. As we ask the question, will Putin ever be held responsible for invading Ukraine? Now, I wanted to get back to the issue of who could prosecute Putin for the crime of aggression or crimes against the peace. There have been suggestions for a special tribunal to be set up to do that. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that could look like? Yeah, so special tribunals came about through Rwanda, that terrible tragedy 30 years ago, and also in former Yugoslavia. So decided to create these one-off tribunals. So it wasn't a permanent International Criminal Court, which we now have in Mm. recent years. And as I say, Australia is a member of that court. Uh, These were set up especially just to deal with the allegations of war crimes. It's interesting that one of them is is in Rwanda because one of the complaints that's being made by African countries about the International Criminal Court 
is it's mainly African countries that end up in the dock. That They can see other countries like the United States, Australia, the UK, who don't end up in any international criminal court. So it's really damaging the credibility of the international criminal court. However, we have had these two special tribunals and the suggestion has been, well, why don't we do another one Mm. on Ukraine? It's already an allegation that something like 34,000 war crimes have allegedly been committed. Mm. That's huge. If you think about what's involved with investigating one murder, let alone 34,000, we see that even to this day when you get some countries like Israel, United States, who are still trying to prosecute fairly now junior people from the Nazi regime in World War II, it's actually very difficult quite often to secure a conviction, people's memories fade, etc. So, you know, if you're going to go after 34,000, but remember these are mainly war crimes proper, but these are the ones for which the intelligence, the information gathering is being collected. Now, the issue with Putin is a lot easier because we've got him on the public record. That's right. He clearly has authorised the invasion. Now, he will try to use an argument that it was self-defence, which is guaranteed in the UN Charter as Article 51, that countries have a right to self-defence. And his argument will be, well, we were just simply defending ourselves against NATO aggression. He might try to use that argument. His preference will be not to be at any international tribunal at all. Now, this article makes the argument that, in fact, we should be pressing to go after Putin, recognising that Bush, Blair and Howard are not going to go on trial. Okay, we we have to learn to live with that. But now we need to make an example of one head of government so as to let other heads of government know you're not going to get away with your crimes. We almost had that breakthrough with Allende and Pinochet. On the original September 11, Mm. back in 1973, the government of democratically elected Allende was removed by the military and Allende died in the ensuing conflict. And the military leader, Pinochet, or Pinochet, who led that rebellion, remained in power for many years and he committed a lot of other crimes, not only rebelling against the government, but then later on torturing political prisoners. Ultimately, he retired from office and went to Britain for medical treatment. Now, Britain has a special relationship with Chile which goes back to 1982 Mm -hmm. when Argentina invaded the Falkland Islands, the Malvinas. The Argentinians were clearly getting ready to invade someone and Chile thought they were going to go west Mm -hmm. and they were going to invade Chile. Right. But instead, they went east and invaded the British islands of the Falklands, Malvinas. And so, in a sense, Britain, by sustaining that attack, which failed, saved Chile from being invaded. So there were these close connections between Chile and Great Britain. So General Pinochet was undergoing medical treatment in Britain. There was a Spanish warrant that had been issued for him. So this is a universal warrant which applies to everybody. So in principles of international law means that if a pirate lands on your shores, no matter what ship the person's been attacking, whether it's yours or somebody else's, the pirate has to be executed. Oh. Under current Australian law, you, you get a life sentence. Huh? So that's an old principle. Mm. So we've, we've now got another form of, of universal jurisdiction relating to war crimes. Yeah, The Spanish had issued a warrant. Pinochet decided to risk it, went to Britain, <laughs> and the British government was presented with a dilemma. Should they hand him over to Spain or should they let him flee the country? And unfortunately, Jack Straw, the Home Secretary, 
whom I met in an earlier life when we were student politicians, <laughs> Jack Straw let Pinochet go. Right. But it's very interesting that Pinochet's defence was that, yes, people had to be tortured because that was the way that we maintain power. But the House of Lords ruled that torture is not the behaviour that you'd expect of a government leader. No. So set up a whole new principle in the Pinochet case. But as I say, Jack Straw then still let him flee the country and not hand him over to Spain. So the law is gradually improving. Whether or not Putin will end up at some sort of international criminal court, I just don't know. It's it's unlikely at the moment, but, you know, you do get these dramatic changes in international politics. You're right, and we've been wrong about things before, so hopefully this one as well. (laughs) Thanks, Keith. Global Truths is presented by Dr Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nicolich. Listener.